everybody. Just wanted to let you know about a very cool podcast project that Kevin and I had the pleasure of interviewing the host, Dan DeWayne. Uh, Dan is a best-selling author and surfer uh, from up in San Francisco, and his new podcast, Reunion, Shark Attacks in Paradise, is a fascinating listen. Um, for those that don't know, Reunion is a beautiful island in the Indian Ocean, rich in culture, great food, and it has some of the best surf in the world, but it also has some of the world's deadliest shark attacks. Yeah, John, it all started in 2011 when the sharks uh, started biting people, but not just biting people. It was with lunatic violence. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, the, the reunion shark crisis became one of the most extreme shark attack epidemics in recorded history and uh, more, more fatalities percentage wise than anywhere else had ever been recorded. Yeah, and Dan takes a look at how the locals, the government, and the business owners navigated this complicated nightmare. You guys have got to listen to it. It really cracks into the remarkable stories of the folks who lived through these attacks, the families, the eyewitnesses, the scientists, how the entire island really coped with this surge of our, you know, shark activity in the water. Yeah, and he gets into you know trying to explain why this is all happening. Um, you know, how did this complex problem seep into every aspect of their island life and culture? Um, and why isn't it happening on neighboring islands um, and things like that? So it's a fascinating listen, and we encourage you guys to, to find it. You can uh, find it on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, uh, or you can go to the Binge channel on Sony Podcast Network and find it there. Anyway, let's get into the interview with Dan. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, we're excited to talk to Dan and uh, hear his story about how he got to where he is today and, and uh, his lifelong surf experience. And uh, we can't wait. So thanks for joining us. So let me introduce you to John Brooks over there uh, with the gray hair. He's super old. He's 50 years old now, and uh, I'm 51. My name's Kevin. Wait, 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 wait. Five zero? Five zero. God, you guys are both younger than I am. That's all right. <laughs> we, we don't look it. That's for sure. Uh, but we have, we have uh, the. Well, anyway, John has the surfing yeah. chops, at least to uh, to match up to maybe some big ocean beach. I think. Okay. Uh, yeah, he's got balls of steel. All right. Yeah, we. Uh, my wife and I. I went to. I grew up here in Florida, but I went to college in Santa Barbara. Oh, right on. Yeah, and. Uh, I got a lot of friends in, in San Fran and uh -huh. uh, in particular uh, Mirror Beach. And oh, so uh -huh. over the last like 10 years, my wife and I have come out there quite a bit and oh, uh, nice, man. yeah, had some super, super fun sessions at OB and one, oh. uh, one really special one at Dead Man's, which was. Oh, oh. wow. Right on. Uh, yeah. 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 It's good stuff. I might paddle out under the Golden Gate Bridge if you hold my hand, John. <laughs> That wave looks like a novelty wave, kind of. Is it? Is it actually yeah, good? Yeah. No, I, I think it's a kind of a novelty wave myself. But yeah. Okay. It is cool. To, it is cool when you're sitting in the water to be able to. You can hear people talking on the bridge. Yeah. Wow. And that that part's that's probably the coolest part of the whole way. <laughs> I mean, I think if I I think if I lived right there, I would surf there. You know, like if somehow I just lived right in that neighborhood and was somehow yeah. five minutes away, I would probably do it. But I'm 25 minutes away or 30 minutes away, and I literally never surfed there. I've surfed there. I've lived here for 25 years. I've surfed there like once or twice. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. That are you sense. in? Are you out in Sunset? You know, I'm not. I, I these days I think I should be, but I I lived in the Sunset in '97. I uh, and then I moved. I moved inland. In I, I live in San Francisco, but I live in a neighborhood called Vernal Heights, which is like oh, okay. It's kind of part of the Mission District, you know. So it's mm -hmm. I, I live in like a good urban neighborhood, but I'm, I'm, I'm right by um, one of the high, I, I'm right near a freeway on ramp. So I can, I can get to ocean beach in under 20 minutes. I can oh, get there perfect. in like 18 minutes. That's so not that bad. Nah, but I, nah. I, you know, as the older I get, the more I think, wait, why, why do I live across town? <laughs> I work at home. Like the only commute I do is to the beach every goddamn day. Like whatever yeah, yeah but you are up in the sunshine you're not down i am in the sunshine not down in the fog yeah and you know back then the the um back in the 90s um ocean beach that neighborhood out there as you know was like um it was pretty bleak out yeah. there it was it was a really bleak neighborhood you know like most of the retail spaces were either boarded up or they'd be like some 
ancient like typewriter repair store, you know, with dusty windows, you know, it was, it was super depressing. Yeah. And yeah, I just could, sure. I just kind of got like seasonal affective disorder living out there. <laughs> and then also ocean beach, you know, it's so foggy so much of the year that you go through a couple of those anyway, whatever. So I, and back then, like the mission district wasn't super expensive. It was lots of really creative people and you could rent a place pretty cheap. And it felt like, oh man, and I was young, you know, and there's girls around and I don't yeah. know. Yeah. 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 You I remember, mean, I, uh, I personally don't think there's anywhere bad to live in San Francisco. Yeah. Like, it's a good town. Yeah. It's yeah, a cool yeah. place. And yeah, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. You remember a little Chinese restaurant over there called Firecracker? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that place. I used to mm-hmm. hit it a couple of times back in the day. That Did you really? Uh, yeah, that was a good restaurant. I like that place. Yeah, that yeah. and Z- Zazi's. Have you been to Zazi's? I think I have. Sure, it's like yeah, a little little it. little French uh, breakfast place in. Uh, I think it's in Knob Hill. In Knob Hill, you know, I don't no, know if I have. I think Hill. I just know. I is that where it is? Knob Hill? Where no, it's that? not in Knob Hill. Where is it? I got to look it up. That don't bother me yeah. the whole time. Well, I'll just fill you in while he's he's doing R and D on good because yeah. I mean, Zazi's. We're obvi- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're. Yeah. We are talking to a foodie, uh, Dan yeah, Dwayne, yeah. right? We yeah, are. That's uh, true. That's okay. True. Now it's on right. coal. It's on coal. Oh, okay. Right, right. Oh, I do know that place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Coal, yeah, Coal Valley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good good place. Zag Zagat rated. Yeah, best yeah. French best French toast of my life. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right, so uh, John, a little closer to the mic when you're talking. Just a heads up, yeah. and uh, but uh, you sound good and. Dan, we have a silly little format here where we're called surf stories. So we usually try to end the hour with some kind of a surf story that okay. you've got in your back pocket. It doesn't yeah. matter if you pass, no problem, but we, yeah. it, it is always nice. So it's something to think about while we're just chatting here. Uh, okay. what, what okay. might be a good one. We also do, you know, like we've already talked about, uh, where you're from and, uh, how do you made your way into surfing. We don't want to get too deep, but, uh, your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your background so, like that. Yep. So I, I grew up in Berkeley, California, which is, uh, not right on the ocean. It's on the Bay, but it's not right on the ocean. So it's not a surf town. So as a kid growing up in Berkeley, it's pretty hard to surf without a, you know, somebody driving you all the time if you don't have a driver's yeah. license. And then the nearest beaches are also kind of rough that way. It's like ocean beach is the closest beach. And what are you going to, you know, that's nowhere to, that's the, it's no Great place to learn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's horrible. But I did have a, um, my dad had grown up in LA in the fifties and forties and fifties. And, uh, and my dad was a, <clears throat> was super, they, they grew up in sort of West LA, but my dad was super into the ocean. He was like a, really good competitive swimmer and a serious body surfer. And then his younger brother, um, uh, was, um, got super into, was a great surfer. He's, he still surfs and he still lives in Southern California. But so I had like my dad's younger brother was like that cool uncle I wanted to be like, and he was a, he was a, he was a trestles guy. So he lived in orange County and then he lived in North San Diego County. He lived in like Lacadia and Encinitas, um, his whole life. So, uh, he was a trestles, black swamis, all those great places down there. And so I kind of, even though I was a Berkeley kid, I really grew up with this, like, Oh God, must surf, must surf, you know? <laughs> and, I, uh, and then once or twice, my dad, like, I think my dad took me camping at San Onofre when I was 12 or 13 to give me a, he wanted to like, give me the connection to his, uh, his brother. And I, uh, and then I went to, I went to college, uh, in, in, at, I went to Cornell in upstate New York and it's just this kind of weird thing happened where like the longer I was on the East coast, the more Californian I felt so that by the time I graduated, I just was like craving surfing. I graduated from college with this feeling of like, it's funny, you know, I look back and I think it's dictated the shape of my life so much, but I, I literally at 21 graduating college at Cornell, the only thing on my mind was becoming a surfer. Like it's kind of weird. And it, and I, so I moved, I mean, I just moved back home, moved back with my parents, but I met a girl who lived in Santa Cruz. And so it was really that first year after college. I, um, it was like this sort of pent up hunger that I'd had my whole life. It was like, this is it. So that would have been 89. So I I really learned to surf, um, at, at pleasure point in 89 on a, uh, on a five ten twin fin that my uncle got me, which is crazy all by itself to think about. Cause 
I'm not a small guy like this. So ridiculous. <laughs> it's a, I'm six, two, you know, and this board was five, 11, five, 10, five, 11. Um, and I also was kind of a, you know, back then, as you guys know, there was no internet or anything. So like, and I didn't have any surf friends either. I just was this Berkeley kid with this bizarre fixation on becoming a surfer. I had no surf buddies. And I, so it was literally like, just take this weird board that my uncle got, he put it in my pickup. I had a little Toyota pickup and drive the coast, like being like, where, you know, where's the surf spot and in town. And then it's like, oh, pleasure point. I, you know, there's a bunch of people out there. I guess I'll try it. Yeah. And then I would like paddle out. Uh, literally, I mean, look back at how insane this was. I, I just would be like, oh, the waves look really good right there. And there's like 20 guys sitting on that spot. So I guess I'll just paddle into the middle of them. And then I'll like turn around and try to catch a wave because, hey, perfect. Long st- yeah. yeah. So yeah. so this is like when I tell this to people who really know Santa Cruz now, it's insane because this right. peak is goes <laughs> fir- first peak pleasure point is like one of the, you know, that's like, I don't know, whatever the. Yeah, it's like Rincon or something, you know, or, I mean, it's at that level of, especially Border, back then. It's borderline wolf pack. <laughs> totally. And I mean, and back then, back then it was, um, as you guys, I'm sure this has happened in Florida too, but like localism was way nastier back then because, you know, it was just because there were fewer, yeah. sir. It wasn't just so inundated with everybody. Um, so I made an idiot of myself and, and I uh, learned to surf that way. And then I, I applied to, um, graduate school PhD programs in English, but I only applied to PhD programs near good surf. And I, good man, I, good man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's stupid from a professional standpoint. No, <laughs> but yeah, so I yeah. ended up, I ended up getting a PhD at in English at UC Santa Cruz. And so I had like five years where I had, um, I had these teaching assistantships where a thousand bucks would magically appear in my checking account every month. And I, and I was able to live on that back then. Yeah. And I had healthcare taken care of and they only expected me to work about four hours a week. So for like five years, I just had this insane lifestyle where um, I don't think I missed. I mean, I didn't just not miss a swell. Like, I don't think I ever missed. I'm sure there's some exceptions, but I really didn't miss like the right combination of tide and wind at the right spot. (laughs) I mean, I just was so (laughs) psyched all those years. Um, and then eventually it became clear to me that I wouldn't be able to get a professorship job. I just wasn't, I didn't have the right resume, you know, whatever. I just was, you know, academia wasn't looking for white guys like me. Honestly, you know, too. let's be yeah. honest. I think writing all the criticism papers, uh, you know, depending on what biological, yeah, yeah. psychological, every sort of love angle of criticism through every sort of lens has pretty much already been done on Hemingway and Fitzgerald oh, and everybody else. Oh, totally. And you're just like, you're, you're, you're at those conferences in Key West and you're, you're thinking to yourself, holy shit. Cause I went through the same sort of thing. Oh, you did? And I oh, was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I was like, I am not going to do this anymore. I am going to, <laughs> yeah. veer. I'm going, to, going to veer somewhere else. And yeah. I think thankfully you had, you know, the surfing experience to say, all right, that is not what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to follow a different line. Yeah. And I had this, um, I had this kind of really fortunate thing happen where my folks in Berkeley had a neighbor who um, was a, a, a real writer who'd published a whole bunch of serious books and taught creative writing at Cal. And right after I graduated from, um, from college, this family friend kind of, you know, stuck his hand out the door, you know, and the crooked finger, come here, little boy, you know, and uh, say, you want to be a writer? Here's how you be a writer. And he, he helped me write. My first book was about Yosemite climbing. Cause I was, I was climbing in Yosemite a lot in those years too. And then when I, when I, and I published that first book when I was 24, I guess, or something. And then when I was, and then after I was done with that book, he said, I was in graduate school at this point. I was like in the middle of graduate school, this sort of mentor figure in my life said, and his name is Tom Farber, by the way, he wrote a beautiful book called on water. That's worth looking up. That's about surfing um, and water. It's one of the most gorgeous things ever written, really beautiful literary nature writing about he, he has a place in Hawaii, um, right at right near Diamond Head in Waikiki. Uh, and he spent years and years and years. It's serious literary writing about, um, and not many people know about it. It's gorgeous. Uh, anyway, he said to me, your next book's about surfing. Here's what you do. And once I figured out, okay, I'm not going to be, make it as a professor. I was like, all right, I'm going all in on this next book. So I wrote, I wrote this book about surfing, Caught Inside. And when it was published, right as it was coming out, like, I was sending out 
applications for professorships and I wasn't even getting the form letter back that tells you to fuck off. You know, like I wasn't even like, I didn't, they weren't even wasting paper on me. And at the same time I was getting, I got an offer from Steve Hawk at uh, surfer magazine. The editor in chief at surfer magazine reaches out to me and says, Hey, come by, you know, the office someday. And I did. And he, he took me out to, what is it? Cottons or church? Something. Is that the, that little mellower break near trestles? Anyway, he took me out to a little peak near trestles just to make sure that I wasn't a totally hopeless kook. And then, (laughs) uh, and then he sent me on, he started sending me on trips for surfer magazine. And so, so it was like, right as the door closed for academia, this other door just flung open to, and it sounded so much more fun anyway, you know? So I oh, had yeah. this great kind of like, you know, flipping the bird to academia, like I got with all that <laughs> scholarly bullshit. And, uh, and the first trip he sent me on was, um, was the first surf exploration of Iceland. And that was, uh, that was with um, Mark Renneker, Doc Renneker yeah, and, yeah. and another, and a buddy of his. And I, so I met those guys in a departure lounge at JFK. Um, I just flew off and joined them and Wingnut was along and Donovan Frankenritter too. And Jeff Devine was the photographer. And we spent three weeks together uh, in Iceland in 90, late 96, um, exploring everything and surfing all these amazing places, beautiful experience. And uh, those two guys, Renneker and this buddy of his named Kevin um, just like became like to this day, they are my two best friends. So Mm. So then I moved from Santa Cruz to Ocean Beach to be near them. And that's been my community ever since. So that's like how I became an Ocean Beach guy. And I fell into like Renneker, that community of Renneker's that's in Finnegan's book. Yeah, that, that was the that was the surf community that I entered. You know, wow. all those guys, Pee Wee and Edwin and all those guys, you know, for yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't not be out on some big days if you're gonna call yourself an OB guy at some point, you know, that yeah. It, it, yeah. pretty uh Pretty big and also cold and also maybe even sharky, even though there's not a lot of, or has there ever been a recorded shark attack there? Yeah. You know, the shark question at ocean beach is a funny one, right? It, there's never been an attack there and there's, um, there have been a couple of maybe sightings, uh, but you know, I, I don't, I mean, I certainly find myself thinking about it out there, <laughs> you know, yeah, I feel, but, it uh, feels really sharky when you're out there, you know, though, as a Northern California surfer, um, there are a lot of places that feel a lot more sharky, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like there's places where you're Bolinas. Yeah. And where <laughs> like you're paddling, you know, out through like rocks with the, you know, sea rocks and there's seals around and you, Maybe you you have to paddle over some really deep channel to get out to some reef, and you just start thinking, "Oh man, what am I doing here?" Yeah. So yeah, we actually uh, hail from the shark attack capital of the world, and uh, as that relates to well, Reunion Island or uh, yeah, yeah. even California, it's uh, it might as well be called the uh, the chameleon bite capital of the world because there's <laughs> very few fatalities in the water, and John is yeah. a uh, zero. Yeah, John's a well, former fire, well, he's still a firefighter, but he used to work right near the inlet. And so he would take many calls for uh, shark attacks. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's one of the crazy differences. It, it, it's a weird phenomenon, right? It must interest you guys that it does. it's the same species, right? It's really freaking yeah. weird, right? You guys have all these bull sharks. You have endless bull shark attacks. And they're generally well, not that bad, right? And uh, well, the thing is, they're not bull sharks that get uh, the accidental bites, the dog bites at the inlet, right, John? They're mostly black. Yeah, tips. that's that's primarily black tips and oh. uh, some nurse sharks occasionally. Um, we also we have not to dispel any myth, but we have a lot of barracudas, and I think oh. a fair, fair percentage of those shark bites are barracudas ah that would um, help explain some things yeah like you but, could get a pretty nasty cut from a barracuda tooth but uh, yeah, absolutely but yeah, yeah we do we do have an inordinate <laughs> amount of shark attacks mm-hmm. um but yeah the, you know they mo- the vast majority of them look like a bite from a chihuahua and occasionally you get one that looks like a bite from a rottweiler but zero fatalities uh ever and it actually, yeah, it has fascinated me with the whole thing with reunion because 
like yourself, like when in when uh, when Pump came out, Billabong's movie Pump came out, and really that was kind of the defining moment in kind of idolizing St. Lou and Reunion as a whole. Um, I sat in my dorm room in in Santa Barbara and just watched that thing until the tape melted. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, always had a fantasy to go there, and then yeah. Just it never happened for me. But then in later in life um, with my schedule as a fireman and starting to get to tr- do some more traveling like that, that's, you know, kind of started popping up on the radar is this horrific shark problem. And um, so, yeah, it's been it's been fascinating to me to think like this is the same type of shark. Um, and then I started doing some research on it. And even, you know, it's even weirder when you realize that Mauritius is right there yeah. and has almost no shark attacks. Right. And it's a hundred, hundred miles away. Yeah. And I remember reading it at one point there was, you know, like, um, when you re in a recent year, Florida had something, the number of shark attacks in a, in, it was, it was in one of the last few years was like in the high twenties as a total number. 28 and 2021. That's what I'm looking for. That number 28 and no fatalities. Zero. We never had a fatality. And in reunion oh, through this not at crisis, New Smyrna Beach, we've had in in Florida, in, in Florida, to, yeah, yeah, in Florida. Oh, yeah, right in Florida. And in reunion, uh, throughout the crisis, the fatality rate was fifty percent. Yeah, half of all bites were fatal. Yeah, and the other half were mostly like loss of limb. Yeah, know? so there were a couple that weren't, but mostly they were loss of. It's really a gruesome difference. Yeah, and I had so, the same, I had exactly the same experience you did, John, where I was like, I saw pictures of San Lu and video of San Lu back in the day that there's that famous photograph from up high that was in the search posters looking down at it, where it's just yeah. like, oh, that's just actually what heaven looks like. Right. Right. Yeah. That's just, that's actually it. Like, I don't have any other vision of heaven. And, and then I, and I did do some surf travel for a while. I went to the South Pacific and. I did those trips for surfer magazine, but I never really had the dough to like be the guy who can fly off and do this, you know, endless huge trips. And it, just like you said, and then it kind of came back on my radar as like, Oh God, that's sort of gnarly. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Well, it, and that's uh, where I think we would end up discussion wise is on your new podcast, which yeah. uh, can you remind us of the title of the podcast when we go to search for it, what it, what it sounds like. Yeah. It's called reunion shark attacks in paradise. Thank you. Yeah. And it is paradise like you guys are talking about. And I have seen some of those photos, but it, that main wave right there where they hold the contest is a left. Is it? Yeah. It's just, a, yeah. it's like a 300 yard left and it's not, it's not like a, a desert point or even a cloud break. You know, it's not a, um, it's not one of those waves that has like an average joke. Like I had this experience actually in the late nineties where I, I, I did finance a trip for myself to the South Pacific. And I'd been looking at all these surf mags of tropical barrels, you know, and back then it was mostly just still images. And I was like, oh man, I'm going to go get so piped. And then I got to like, cloud, I literally went to cloud break in 96 and uh, there was no way I was pulling into that barrel. Like I did no. not have the chops. I'd only been surfing for five years at that point, wow. but it was literally all I could do. It took like a hundred percent of my surfing ability just to successfully stand on my board, catch a wave, stand on my board and trim and make it to the end of the wave. And there was no way I was pulling in. I have scars to this day on my knees from the coral at cloud break. And, uh, and uh, San Lu is man. San Lu is not like that. San Lu, San Lu is like a tropical Rincon or something. It is so the wave of your dreams. It's like the world's greatest aquatic skate park or like a J Bay or so tropical J Bay or something. Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest myths, I think, in surf media lore is that uh, especially before the advent of, you know, video and, yeah, and movies, yeah. things like that, you see these still photos that look absolutely perfect. And then you yeah. get to the wave and you're like, well, only one out of 10 waves actually does that. Yeah. And espe- yeah. And especially cloud break. Cloud breaks notoriously shifty and it is you know, not a perfect wave right no right. no yeah, I, yeah. I i had the same experience with uh with kandui left oh, yeah. in menowise that's dreamed about that place and then finally got to go there and was like this is a glorified closeout you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> we, we had to we had to court that bitch for a few years didn't we yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but 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 then there are waves and like uh there's a wave in the uh, mentalize called telescopes 
oh, that yeah. reminds me a lot of of St. Louis, even though I've never had the fortune of surfing at St. Louis. Oh, but the yeah. just the 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 perfect wrap on the corner of that reef and the you can see it's like maybe the first 50 or 60 yards you're gonna highlining and and then it hits yeah. that corner and then it's just a pocket um that just moves down the 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 reef or like like you said like Rincon. Yeah. You hit the top of the cove and it's like the you just you can you look at those aerial photographs and you, the white water line is just ruler straight. Yeah it's mm. like that man that's yeah, what it is. yeah. so well, but it is I, it is fascinating. And what what uh, what drew, drew you to that project, uh, that podcast? You know, just it was just a, a guy, a guy I know, sort of an old friend would just had seen something on who works in audio. You know, an old friend had seen something on uh, on um, on the crisis there. And it sort of called me up and said, dude, do you know anything about this? And I was like, yeah, I sure do. Like, <laughs> I'm you know, my my Google News search is full of stupid you know, surf everything. And you know what I mean? It's like yeah. right up there with Russia invades Ukraine for me is like, you know, Griffin Colapinto wins in El Salvador, or whatever it is, <laughs> you know? And uh, so all that stuff kept popping up and, you know, beach grid and it all just kept popping up in my life. Um, and then, so then I, it kind of, I just started looking into it myself. I started saying, God, man, you know, and I started, I had dreamt of going there for so long, like, you know, that just like so many of us did who were surfers in the nineties, that images. So I had wanted to go there for so long. So I just kind of started, you know, reading and thinking, God, you know, what is, what is the deal there? And how many sharks attack, have, how shark, you know, and, and the more I learned about it, um, it, it, it was one of these stories that just became way, way more interesting. The more I learned about it, because not only had it gone, had did the crisis go on for so long, um, it really kind of turned the whole society there's this interesting quality to it right which is like reunion island is this it's this little green island all by itself way out in the big blue ocean and which i feels to me kind of like our little blue planet way out on space you know it's this kind of like synecdoche for the human our sort of human predicament on this planet and then Oh, and it, it's not that small. It's like the size of Maui, you know, 30 miles by 40 miles. It has huge, gorgeous volcanoes in the middle, but it is just paradise. And it, it also has got to be one of the most multi-ethnic places on the globe. It is crazy how multi-ethnic it is. And in a, people, there's, a, there's um, in a way that's pretty mind blowing to an American eye, you know, like it's, it's just not, it doesn't feel it again. I guess what I'm trying to say is it feels like all of humanity together on this mm. little island uh, and in the water together, you know, it's people of ev every ethnicity is together in the water. Um, so I guess it also felt to me, and then, well, and then when the attacks started, it was such a, a major social event in that society that it sort of brought out all these weird social tensions, like, mm. um, and some of them are so complicated. Like, the word Creole, for example, on reunion doesn't mean racially mixed. It has no racial meaning at all on reunion the way it does in like other parts of the world. The word Creole literally just means you were born on the island, but huh. it probably means you speak this Creole language and you, you have Creole culture in you. But it, it, everybody white, you know, black, everybody is, is Creole if they've been there for a while. Creole culture has this kind of ancient fear of the sea on reunion. They don't, mm -hmm. they never had a water sports culture like in Polynesia at all. They did. They just, they say their society like had their back to the ocean. And mm -hmm. in the, um, in the sixties, when France turned in the late forties, France turned reunion into the equivalent of like a French state. It's totally just like Hawaii is to the U S it just is France. And when they did that, they started building up all this infrastructure, hospitals, schools, you know, all this stuff. Okay. That created a bunch of really good new jobs. There weren't enough people on the Island with the right credentials for those jobs. So the French government gave this, all these new jobs, these great jobs to mainland French white metropolitan educated people and gave them huge salary bumps to move off to Timbuktu basically, right. To, to work. So in the sixties, there was this huge influx of metropolitan French whites with a lot of money into mm. like basically the equivalent of like they moved to Oahu in terms of how good the surf, like I'm telling you reunion, it is not just San Lu. There are waves on reunion that are better than San Lu. 
at least yeah. two that I know of. It is literally like Oahu in terms wow. of density of killer syrup. Okay. The sixties of course is when, you know, the endless summer, I mean, Gidget is, you know, the Gidget movies are already what, I don't know how many sequels they're into by the mid sixties, but you know, the Gidget <laughs> movies are huge. Uh, 64 is the endless summer is a global blockbuster. Okay. So all these, all these white French people totally pumped on surfing move to this island and are looking around and what they're looking at is fucking San Lu, right? That yeah. Nobody's ever surfed. I mean, that's what they're seeing. It's like yeah. right in this beautiful fishing town. They're just going, you've got to be kidding me. And there's tons of waves like this. Okay. So that those people in reunion, that class of people are called Zores. It's a weird local word. It's not even like mainland French people don't know this word. It's just a local huh. island word, Zore. There's all kind of weird etym etymologies of what it comes from that are sort of gruesome and have to do with slave, slave or slavery times and bounty oh, wow. hunters cutting. It's horrible. But okay, Zores, which are those newcomer French whites with a lot of money, they brought surfing to the island. Okay. Um, but so the so surfing is associated in the island's mind with those people. Mm. But it is not remotely only a Zore sport tons yeah. of creoles of all covers colors surf so if you talk to surfers they will say that's bullshit that it's mm. like azore that's just bullshit that's just like media noise yeah but a lot of the island was wrapped up in that media noise and that way of thinking about it so when mm. the crisis started zores were the ones were the first people getting hit so there was this thing that was like, ah, oh, well, sharks only kill white people anyway. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and so fuck them, you know, long live the sharks. And then there was also a, like uh, a Creole criticism of surfers. It got all wrapped up in this idea that Zores ignore the old Creole wisdom, which would mm. have told you stay the hell out of the water because the water's dangerous. So this kind of weird social brew that that later in the crisis that kind of faded out that's really not ultimately what the story's about at all but it was one of the kind of interesting things at the beginning that i was like wow this is deep and bizarre so we had the pleasure of listening to the first episode of the podcast you did oh, which cool. yeah yeah we uh we both listened to it today even so it's pretty fresh in my head and i don't mm -hmm. want to go too far into that but uh it was interesting to hear how sea averse the local population was, you know, before the French decided it was going to be a surf Mecca, you know, and obviously with more time to study and more, obviously, you know, you've been on this topic now for two or three years. It is, uh, it is true that sharks are not racist. They will. So, but I think, uh, we, it, we joke, but we also, I mean, the stories of heartbreak that, I mean, if you just do one little empathetic turn at each attack, you're imagining tens of twenties or hundreds of people affected by each attack, families, friends, the community, um, that's got to send some kind of a, uh, an emotional heartbreak and trigger. I don't know. It's just gotta be some, some sort of catastrophic thing. And you, it makes you kind of like a nine 11, not really, but sort makes you want to kill every shark around the island and then yeah, you bump yeah. into the resistance to that of course which would be hey that's their world you know and yeah yeah it's got to be part of your podcast i can imagine it's going to take up an episode or two to to get into that oh it's a, yeah it's a lot more than an episode or two but yeah that in in many ways that's a much that's an even bigger theme than that sort of creole zore thing i was talking about is that sure. you know right after right after the first attack in this series anyway, I mean, there'd been attacks before on the Island, but right after the first attack that was in this series, um, a couple of surfers basically just mount up on a fishing boat and go out and kill a shark. And that, um, they think they're going to be greeted as heroes and they come back to the Island and it, this huge controversy erupts. And this is really what's at the heart of the first part of the series is there's a lot of people on the Island are like, Hey, don't you dare kill sharks. This is like a Marine reserve. And, um, yeah. So that, that's a, that's a super thorny, but it's also a really interesting issue. Like people sort of bring up these just, to, you know, one of the numbers that comes up a lot in this conversation is like, I think they say the shark finning trade alone is responsible for the deaths of about 70 million sharks a year. Oh my and, God. 
Mm. It's a shocking number. And then when you add in the rest of human predation on sharks, it's like a hundred million. And so it's a crazy number. So then like, you know, so then one perfectly reasonable response to this is like, come on, man, we, we humans kill a hundred million sharks a year. Um, and, a sh- you know, sharks kill four, six humans a year. And now you guys want to go out and kill sharks over that. And how are you ever even going to find, but there's this sort of retort, this starts to become complicated and interesting because the retort to that is that um, shark culling, preventative shark fishing, right? Like in Australia and South Mm -hmm. Africa, you know, where they proactively kill sharks to try to reduce attacks. The number I have heard is that they kill, that those programs worldwide kill every year about 2,400 sharks. So when you put that in the context of a hundred million, it's kind of like, what are we talking about? But there's a counter to that too, which is that, yeah, but 24 is a lot of sharks and we got to save sharks. I don't know. You know, it just, it's really, and, and I guess it tears at me because I am absolutely an environmentalist at heart and I'm absolutely a surfer at heart. And I absolutely love the, I don't know, like it freaks me out that there's great whites off the coast here in California. I don't want anyone to go kill great whites to make me feel better. But on the other hand, the chances of getting killed by a shark in California have been calculated. And this is for surfers, not just for any human being. It's not one of those bullshit, bad faith calculations people do. For a surfer is something like one in 17 million is your chances. Um, so it's pretty, it's kind of easy for me to be like, eh, 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 don't hurt the sharks. In Reunion Island at one point, the, the, your chance of getting killed as a surfer, every single time you got in the water was one in a hundred. Ooh. Wow. Really, really different, right? Or getting attacked. Yeah. And that one's hard to stomach. Yeah. That's a big number. Yeah. It is. I don't feel like rolling that dice with a hundred sides on it. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you've got more time there than we do. You've probably had the, um, I don't know. It, it's hard enough to sit and stare at a perfect point break when people are out there surfing it. But when you're sitting there staring at it, nobody's riding it. Oh my God. Driving you know? the co- driving the coast to Reunion, which I, I, you know, I did a bunch of times, but I, I did drive in particular, a, a guy who lives there, who's a, who's a brilliant surfer, um, a guy named Lori Le Constant, uh, just a local dude, but just a brilliant, brilliant surfer who surfed all over the world. Um, he drove me, you know, he just took me down the coast one day on a day of real swell and just stopped at spot after spot. And oh, man, I'm telling you, you know, as a, as a, I mean, as a surfer, we all get this kind of mechanism of desire baked into us, you know, where that's, it just kind of gets baked into your psyche, right? That thing where you look at the video, you look at the picture, it's, it, you know, your heart aches. And then if you see it for real and you're breathing and smelling and you're in the wind and you, your feet are in the water, you know, this whole mechanism of desire inside you gets going. And I just have never seen anything in my life like what I saw driving down the coast of Reunion Island. I mean, okay. I saw so many breaks of so many different of so many different qualities and kinds, you know, like things that look like point breaks, beautiful little reefs, little A-frame reefs with like absolutely clear water where you can see the coral and it's peeling both ways maybe a few people out, you know, and somebody's saying, yeah, look, it's getting crowded again because there's six guys out at a break that would have 40 in California. Ugh. And, uh, I saw a place that it, I swear to God, I've never been to desert point, but I've seen, obviously we've all seen, I swear to God, I saw like a 10 to 12 foot desert point, just grinding down this endless thing. And these young guys, young, there were, I got to, I met, I walked up to look at this place and there were two young Hellman chargers guys like mm-hmm. 20, 22 psychopaths just like frothing and about to fucking go out you know fuck the <laughs> wow. sharks. There, there's a whole underground there of guys who never and women a lot of women who never stopped yeah all the way through the crisis they never stopped from what okay. i've read that the government outlawed it and, yeah. and made it illegal but really not in any enforceable way just as more of a cya to say that you know if somebody does get killed by a shark, they can't sue the French government. They go, oh, well, it's yeah. against the law. They were breaking the law type thing. But yeah, I mean, because it was it was in that time frame, you know, Jeremy Flores 
you know, had a long and storied career on the world tour and grew up yeah, in yeah. France, but moved to reunion when they, he kind of got identified early on as a child prodigy, I think 10 or 11 years old. And, and they, they, you know, his family moved him to reunion and he's widely regarded as one of the best, you know, uh, big kind of uh, reef style barrel riders on the planet. And yeah, so, yeah. I mean, it, there's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah. And Johan DeFay, right? That woman who's, um, yeah. I think she's in number, isn't she in first place currently or close in the rankings? First the or second, yeah. On the, she's, she's from Reunion too. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Adrian Toyin is another guy. And Alice um, Lemoyne, who won the Women's World Longboarding Tour. Yep. Anyway, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But to circle back a little to what you were talking mm-hmm. about with with the shark calls too, is that for me growing up here on the beach in Florida, um, you know, surf fishing is hugely popular and you, you know, everybody, whether they're any good or not, will walk down to the beach and throw, throw a pole in the, into the surf and, and see what they catch. And I can't even, I can't even count the number of sharks I've seen people catch off the beach. Wow. And, and, and then when you hear, you know, the number a hundred million per year to finning and, and, you know, defensive tactics and things like that, like I look at culling sometimes and go, you, you can't kill enough sharks to make a difference. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're you know, I, I, obviously I, I, procreating faster than we can kill them. <laughs> well, that's, that is one point about that hundred million a year number is kind of like, Jesus, if that's been going on for 20 years yeah. and that there's still a hundred million to kill every year, how, how many are there? Jesus, that's a lot of, you know, and then I, I also, I called a, a buddy of mine who's a, um, a surfer, a, a guy who grew up in Santa Cruz and a very, very good surfer in Santa Cruz uh, is a Marine biologist. And he started a, he started a conservation uh, org called uh, Island Conservation that does it, it's sort of grim. They do like the wet work of conservation, which is like, let's say, um, let's say like cats like take over some island off Baja, you know, and they're killing the like native goat or the native mouse. These guys just go in and kill all the fucking cats. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, they'll kill like 2000 cats in a weekend. They'll just hire some local oh. hunters and kill. it's amazing. But anyway, Bernie, his name is Bernie. Bernie is a kind of a, uh, He's sort of an intro. I called him up early when I was working on this story to say, because I'm not a, you know, like wildlife biologist or anything to be like, Bernie, man, I need your read on this story. It's super weird. What do you think? And he's sort of a curious bird in that he doesn't, <clears throat> he'll sort of say up front, like, I don't really give a shit about any individual animal. I care about species and the survival of species. You can take that or leave it. You can hate him for that, whatever. But that's just his trip. That's what he's about. Sure. Is, biodiversity and species survival. So he's like, all right, so what's the main species they're talking about there? Bull sharks? All right, let's look this up on the IUCN red list. You know, it's this like list of endangered species, threatened species all over the world. He's like, ah, you hear the keyboard. Yeah, all right, let's see, near threatened, near threatened. He goes, Dan, near threatened. That That is so far from any, that is like orders of magnitude different from any of the categories that are really threatened. And then he goes, he goes, let me just read a little more. Now he's like, I, you know what, Dan, I could give you $60 million and say, Dan, I want you to go kill every bull shark on the planet. And there's no fucking way you could do it. He's like, <laughs> these things are all over the world. They have incredible distribution. They warming oceans are going to actually increase their range mm-hmm. They're They are totally opportunistic predators. They will eat absolutely any like organic animal tissue dead or alive floating anywhere. Now, I don't, I don't want to say that I fully researched that position myself to back it up. So I, I'm just trying to say that was, and Bernie's an intense character, but I'm just trying to say like, that was one perspective I heard on this was like, wow. Okay. All right. That's, that's kind of radical. Well, yeah, he's got more degrees than we do in that area. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. that generally yeah. helps. He knows where to look. And yeah, with yeah. Uh, with respect to shark nets, I'm sure maybe something along those lines might have come about. I don't even know how you would implement that at what cost. And I don't want to dive into it here if you're going to dive yeah, into yeah. it on your podcast. But I mean, I'm just trying to you know, think how us surfers get in the water at reunion and have a good time without worrying so much about yeah, it. Yeah, you know, they, I mean, one of the things I, I, <clears throat> I was super struck by, first of all, they haven't had an attack in three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you go back to uh, four years, there's only been one attack in four years. Um, that's not any worse than California. Um, there's a hell of a lot more people in the water in California. And they also... I mean, it, 
they, I don't know. There's part of me. So, you know, there are these electronic shark ankle bracelet mm-hmm. things. Oh yeah. And there's some, there's some research behind some of them. I actually, I have one in this closet somewhere. I got it. I do too. It's sitting in my closet. Like <laughs> yeah. a mile that way. My yeah, wife yeah. got it for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually my in-laws got it for me. They, they're oh, from, yeah. uh, they're from Illinois. And uh, I think within two years of moving here, they're like, happy birthday. Hi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I don't, you know, um, ah, there's part of me that feels like if you, if you really look at the numbers of how long it's been since there was an attack there, and if you look at the research behind those devices and you get yourself one, I know this is going to be a hard case to really back up. I kind of think reunion is the best surf trip in the world right now. I think I literally think reunion, if you just want to score your freaking brains out in all kinds of perfect warm water surf off beautiful beaches, it's, I wouldn't say there's nobody in the water now. Like San Lu has probably 20 or 30 guys in the water now on a, on a good day. Um, but I mean, imagine what you would think if like perfect Rincon had 20 people out, mm. you, right? When has that mm. ever happened? Never. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's so many waves. And then that's also France, man. So it's like yeah. cappuccinos, you know, right. <laughs> like <laughs> croissants. And I don't know, you know, the ahi tartare is like French style. And hell, really all, all I can yeah. say is it's going to be hard for me to paddle with 55 watches or <laughs> yeah. along yeah. my arms. Yeah. And legs. But, uh, it might, I did, it might be I did use it. one. Of, I did use one of those things. I did use one of those shark repellents and I got, um, they're they're freaking weird they 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 shock you you get yeah you you can feel it right oh yeah well what it really is is when you uh i I, i'm gonna reveal that i was an english major and therefore just pathetic at (laughs) at stem but it's something about um like when you're paddling and both legs and your whole board is in the water everything's fine but if you if you paddle like up over a wave and the part it's like it's somehow like if somebody who just knew even the most basic electrical circuitry could, this is not particle physics. This is just electricity, but it's like, as your board comes out of the water, like on the, t- you know, if you're like paddling up and over a wave and if your board, like sort of just pops a little out of the water as you paddle sure. up and over. And if you're the leg with the bracelet also comes out of the water, your body ends up closing the circuit instead of the water closing the circuit. That makes sense. <laughs> Get a real fucking jolt so much so that I, uh, I'm, I heard a number of surfers there tell me that they, when they use these things, they, they have, they, there's a switch right on your board. You can turn it off with, okay. and they'll sit ah. there. And if they see a great set coming, they'll turn it off. Like when they're like, oh, this is going to be my fucking wave of the day. They'll turn it off because sometimes that weird thing will happen. Like as you're hopping up, yeah. so like just as you're doing your pop-up on a great wave, you'll get this zap. <laughs> so, they, so they turn the thing off. Uh, but I don't know. That seems kind of I'll definitely have the remote control to Kevin's so that I can yeah. just do <laughs> yeah. it to him as he's dropping yeah. into waves. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, I think All at right. this point too, like like you said, like it's been a, it's been a while since they've had an attack there. But I think yeah, yeah. the real um, kind of interesting part of the story is not even necessarily the the actual shark attacks, it's our human yeah. response to it. And the, the response by the surfers, the response by the Creoles, the response by the government, the French yeah. government, yeah. That, that's to me anyways, that's what's so fascinating about it. Yeah, is, yeah. Um, just seeing, and, and kind of like, almost like we, we just went through this with the pandemic, you know mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's every, it's humanity's response to these things that ends up being so fascinating yeah, that's, you know, the, the pandemic's a good example, like around immunization or something where like, yeah, the whole society, just the way we humans seem to do on everything these days, just like fractured into this, these camps, you know, there was little like must kill sharks camp and anybody who says otherwise is a murderer, you know, and then there was yeah. the, like, don't you dare kill sharks crowd and anybody who says otherwise is a murderer, you know, uh, yeah. and then there was like one other <laughs> camp, which was like, you people are all idiots. We have runaway unemployment on this island and you know, what the hell gives a shit about surfing? Yeah. So, so right, what, yeah. what can, uh, what can we look forward to with the series? Is it, you know, 10, 10 episodes? It's, uh, it'll be, four, it'll be 14. 14 episodes. Okay. 14 episodes. Yeah. And released every, how often? 
No, you know, I think it's going to be batch release. I think it's going to be released all at once. Ooh, oh, nice. okay. I, I, I think that's what they're going to do. Yeah, just so I it'll be love like, it. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And then it's about a half an hour for each episode. Yeah, that's right. Half an okay. Hour. Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. Did you have fun making it. What uh, oh, was this man. a new experience for you? Yeah, it was. I hadn't done audio before, uh, so I, I I learned a lot. Um, and uh, I mean, I I don't know. It was it was such a cool experience, and so I I I, I had so many just doing the interviews with such, I got to talk to so many interesting people. And there's that cool thing about surfing, you know, when, when you've done surf travel or even just at your local break, the way in which it connects you to people that maybe your work life wouldn't, you know, and you end mm-hmm. up having these friends that are just not what your work life would connect you with. So like, you know, I, I've got to really connect with some guys who's, who are, their, their career is they are lifeguards on Reunion Island. Like in California, the direction, if you want to point to Reunion Island from California, you literally point at the floor. It, it is you know, mm. like it, it's literally the antipode, the opposite side of the planet from a point just offshore of L.A. Wow. Um, and I don't know, wow. man, you know, or, or uh, I don't know, you know, I met a dad whose son had been killed, um, who's a musician and he went through this whole painful journey of like quitting his bands and his marriage fell apart all this stuff is i'm a parent so it's this stuff i can just relate to and then put him back self back together by becoming a singer songwriter and wrote this beautiful song about his son and wow and when he when he tours when he play he was sort of telling me when he plays this song he sort of played it for me and when he plays this song it fills him with a sense of pride and and it's a pride in having survived emotionally having survived that loss emotionally you know God damn, do I get that, man? You know, because as a parent, you just feel like, oh, I just don't know if I could survive. And to 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 sort of be able to grow through this thing and process, I don't know. Anyway, so you know, that was it was it was really rich in human terms, I guess. Yeah. I said. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a little it's it's a lot less hermetic um when you think about it. You're dealing with live interviews, recording with other people and you don't have to sit in that uh, writing studio or wherever you've set up to, yeah, to yeah. jam it out. Or I, mean, I suppose you could do that in a coffee shop too, but it, it is, yeah. seems to be more interactive and yeah, I enjoy yeah. it. I like the medium a lot too. And yeah, yeah, I would say, you know, if I think about writing a book or recording a podcast with John and somebody like yourself, I'm far more motivated. I'm just, I'm <laughs> yeah. not really programmed to sit down and write anymore as much as I would like to and i did uh-huh. love it for a while yeah. um but you know the as times change and we we migrate into these commuter lives and less even less commuting but john just took a job an hour away from his house and he, he's oh, listening man. to all kinds of new podcasts i yeah, feel yeah. enriched i feel enriched yeah. comedically i feel enriched human you know from a humanity standpoint and a lot of the things i used to get from intense reading whether it be the new yorker on a weekly basis or a new uh, novel or historical book um, I'm finding that sort of uh, you know intelligence sort of need if you will I need yeah, yeah. Some form of, it filled by these and uh, I'm looking forward to it it's going to be a good uh, podcast and uh, right on, yeah man. thanks for doing it I appreciate hey, yeah, it yeah yeah my pleasure thanks for thanks for having me on yeah oh absolutely I mean that was kind of the when you know the impetus for us starting this podcast was uh, the pandemic and uh-huh. we couldn't, we couldn't do the surf film festival. We couldn't, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. have screenings with people, you know, 300 people in a theater. So we just wanted to find a way to engage with fans. And so we, uh, we started the podcast and with the idea of uh, as you were talking, you, you find these friends and these uh, relationships in surfing that you just kind of don't find anywhere else in your life. And oftentimes, or at least for myself personally, those friendships have revealed these fantastic stories uh, that are told, you know, walking down the trail to Rincon or on the car ride down to Lowers or, you know, you're heading somewhere and you've got a buddy who just got back from some trip and he's regaling you with this, you know, horrific or comedic or whatever type of story. And uh, I just started to find that I had a lot of those in my memory and I'm like, God, oh, these these are just going to evaporate. Like they're not getting recorded anywhere. And so that that became the the uh, formula, so to speak, for the podcast. And so, oh, man. Um, yeah. So having kind of you know gotten a little background on you and and you know what your latest project is, 
if you have a if you have a story, we'd love to document it so it doesn't evaporate. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's think about that for a second. So what? Um, how do I generate a story? Let me think. What's a good story? I mean, one maybe. Well, let's try this out. This is a story from. Uh, God, so many different ones to think about, but um, I had a pretty interesting experience when I was. Um, I sort of two interesting experiences when I was learning to surf. I was telling you guys, I you know about the pleasure point, learning to surf at pleasure point. Yeah. So, so I had a so these I don't know why I feel like these two little anecdotes kind of go together, but I one day I'm out. So like I like I said I this I surfed pleasure point when I just sucked and I didn't know and I didn't really know the um. Do you, up, do you paddle up to people and shake your shake your hand and i yourself? wasn't like that big of a <laughs> no, I'm, joking. I, I'm joking no because they were all scowling at me and you know oh, so yeah. i was oh, yeah, all yeah. getting the stink eye but like you know there were all these kids who would just oh, like ruthlessly burn me you know teenagers who would just like <laughs> ride the entire fucking wave in front of me and i and like uh, you know i'd haven't been experienced like i'm getting burned by some teenager and I, whatever i deserved it who the hell was i but I didn't pull out. Like I ride the whole fucking way behind this guy. And then we finish and then he screams at me. You know, <laughs> and and uh, and I remember thinking like, I'm not a tough guy. I'm not a fighter. I'm not a bar fighter or anything, but I'm a pretty large person. I'm like 6'2", 200 pounds. And this twerpy little kid, you know, I went to a big <laughs> public high school in a city, you know, and I remember this kid screaming at me, just thinking, are you, are you kidding? <laughs> How am I, what is this? And, and of course, like later I learned, oh yeah, no, you gotta be careful because he's got backup and he's embedded in this community. And there's some tough fucking biker dude on the cliff who has his back. And, you know, I figured all that out, but <clears throat> over time, one day I'm out on a big day there, by, by which I just mean, I don't know, let's say head and a half, something like that. Uh, but it was big for me. And I'm kind of you know, nervous. And I, and I drop in on a good set wave right fucking in front of a guy. I, and I just want to reiterate for your listeners, this is just my first couple of years of being a surfer. I, I got my act together after this. And I, I drop in on this guy, I blow this wave for this guy. And I, and there's nobody in the lineup except the pack back then. I mean, now there'd be like 200 people, none of whom know each other. Sure. There's nobody but this pack. And I, and I paddle back into the pack and there's all these eyes on me, right? Cause I've just blown it. And this older guy who's like a real alpha in the crowd says kind of loud, not looking at me, just addressing the crowd. He says, takes a lot of guts to be out here on a day like this when you're just learning. And the oh. whole mood just like cooled down. Wow. And, and uh, okay, so flat. So then one night I'm at a dinner party with some college students. I say, you know, pleasure point, trying to learn to surf, blah, blah. Some guy takes pity on me. He says, oh, you know, there's this place you should go. This point break north of Santa Cruz. Again, back then, no internet, nobody knows anything, right? So it's, it's not a secret spot, but it's a hell of a lot more secret than it is now. Sure. So I find this place. I discover this beautiful point break, remote, long, 200 yard, 300 yard long rides. It's not a, it's not a really super shreddable wave. So whatever, but I loved it. I was happy there. One day I'm out, it becomes my home. I surfed there for years. I get to know everybody. It becomes my home. One day I'm out there and a kid, a teenager from Pleasure Point shows up whom I recognize as one of the, you know, like a member of the pack. And I catch a wave at the peak and he drops in on me. And it, it's just not, I, 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 I want to be clear. This sounds like it's an echo of the same kid I burned or the same kid who burned whatever. Anyway, it's not like someone who burned me, who recognizes me, who's paying me back. It's just a kid right. from Pleasure Point who is used to being able to burn people. Right. He drops in on me and he rides this whole wave in front of me. And we get back out to the lineup and I say, and he's, he's just, he doesn't know what he's doing. Right. He doesn't realize you're not. A, so I say to this kid, Hey, you're not a pleasure point anymore, man. You can't do that up here. And, uh, um, you know, the next time you do that, whatever, something like that. I, I'm not a big doing a big heavy thing, but it, but it's a little heavy. There's a vibe to sure, it that's sure. like you're a chill, you're a child among adult men now on the because this part of Santa Cruz is not anyway. Okay, here's the point of the story. Sitting next to this guy, floating next to this guy, is an older man. So at this point, I'm probably 26. There's a guy floating next to him who's maybe 50, who's clearly a very good surfer. I don't recognize him. I've never seen him at this break before. This is not a man who's scared of me. He's, he's just, you know, got vibe of, 
uh, he's not, he's not afraid of me. So I dress this kid down. There's nobody else in the water, but the three of us, me, this kid, and this guy I don't recognize. I dress this kid down. The kid turns to that old guy and says, Hey dad, how much more time do we have? And the dad says, Oh, we got about an hour. But what's interesting, right. Is I'm telling you that dad was not afraid of me. So, but the dad said nothing to me. He let me, he let me dress that kid down. Hmm. And, and I, and, and I, I just, I know, I just knew in my bones the second I heard him, him address his dad that, oh shit, that guy let me do that mm-hmm. because he approved of what I was saying. And if I had t- taken one tiny step across the line, I would have, I would have been dealing with a very different side of that dad. You know? yeah, sure, like, sure. like he wasn't going to let me hurt his kid. He wasn't going to even let me say anything particularly cruel to his kid, right. but he was going to let me give his kid the business about this. Um, anyway. So that's my, that's my, story. I love oh, it. That's I, a, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, yeah. With the wisdom of elders in the lineup, yeah. There's, yeah. There's, yeah. I've gotten a lot of life lessons out in the water from guys that I, guys that I knew and guys that I didn't know. And uh, I can remember as a kid growing up and surfing at Ponce Inlet, which is like a real uh, long, like a uh, jetty and kind of resembles a point break as much as we have a point break in Florida, but it, it wedges off the jetty and kind of move, kind of like Corona Del Mar, it like moves down the jetty. And so there's a definite like takeoff spot. And I can remember as a kid, like paddling over to the first peak, like right next to the jetty. And having one of our like local legends, this guy, Rich Murray, who unfortunately is uh, passed on now, but Rich was, he was, he was the surf culture of this area, him and a handful of other guys. And uh, he saw me paddling over there from down the beach and he never even made eye contact with me, but he just said, you're not ready to be over here. And I just turned around and paddled back the other way. <laughs> and it was just, you know, but he was absolutely right, you know, and oh, that's cool. Um, but yeah, yeah, just it's uh, the being in the water. There's such a, a cool culture um, that is totally different from what you experience on land. And, and Kevin and I see that in the in the film festival that we do. Oh, yeah, um, it, the, the film festival geographically is just inland from the the inlet that separates new Smyrna beach and Ponce inlet. Oh man. And that, uh-huh. and that was a big divider line. When I was a kid, like you referenced when localism was real, you yeah. either surf new Smyrna or Ponce inlet. You didn't surf both. And, you know, we, we put on our, our surf film festival and we draw people from both sides of the inlet. And I see guys that I have seen them fight in the water for 25 years. And, but when they stand in line, wait for a beer at the surf movie, They'll finally bury that hatchet and go, Hey, you know what? I don't, I don't even know your name. Oh, I mean, oh right on. I've oh, been yeah, telling yeah, you, that, I've been telling you to fuck off for 25 years, but oh, I don't yeah, know yeah, your yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So oh, funny, yeah, right, right. yeah. It's, it's just a cool, um, the, the difference between the culture on land and in water and, and just the lessons that we learn from it. Um, yeah, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. 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 Right on. Right on. Oh yeah. The hot tempers, uh, of, of both sides of the element can, fuel a nuclear reactor sometimes yeah. the, oh is that yeah yeah the, the pure rage but uh i just want to thank <laughs> you for coming on and sharing a little bit of uh those uh you know first of all the surf story a little wisdom from the old guys but yeah. um also this great project that you've embarked on and a new format new medium and yeah. uh good for you man we're, we're rooting for this thing to be a huge success because we want to hear more from you i mean you're just you've really established your hard work and your voice and uh, we like it. We love it. Hey, right on, man. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Thanks Absolutely. A lot. Got it. Thanks, as, as soon as we like uh, Kevin sent me the podcast, that first episode, as soon as I clicked it on, I'm like, Oh man, he's got a sexy voice. <laughs> right. right on, man. Yeah. You're pulling it off, man. Way to go. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today. Um, man, what, what a crazy story, huh, Kevin? I know. I, if that didn't prime your appetite, oof, that's a bad metaphor. I would say if that didn't, uh, what, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. All I can say, <laughs> I want to listen to the rest of this podcast. And uh, Dan is the man. He knows how to interview people and really just 
also highlight the tragedy and the sadness of uh, what that community has gone through, sadly, but also, you know, documenting the problem and, and maybe also pointing you in the right direction for your next surf trip. Yeah, the thing I was the most in kind of excited, encouraged, I don't know the right word there, but is the fact that they haven't had a, a fatal shark attack in quite some time. It's been years now since they've had a fatal shark attack. And so, um, as Dan mentioned, I mean, geez, perfect surf and fairly uncrowded because most people aren't thinking to go there right now. Yeah, I know. I mean, that dice, uh, that Dungeons and Dragons dice where it's like <laughs> got a hundred sides to it and you just toss that thing onto the table. It used to be one in a hundred that you were going to come out of that water with a seriously um, messed up piece of your body or death. Yeah. Um, and now it's, you know, it's basically gotten back to normal, whatever normal means. And who knows? Um, let's listen to the podcast and find out what happened during this time and give him um, and his hard work it's due because it is not only entertaining, but it's educational. And I think a lot of people are going to find it, uh, you know, a good way to, a good way to get to work if, if, if nothing else. Absolutely. So yeah, we're, we're stoked to have Dan on the episode today and, uh, for our longtime listeners, I uh, just want to say thanks for your support. And of course, uh, the Florida surf film festival, uh, we couldn't do that without our sponsors, uh, monster energy, uh, Rourke Apparel, Globe Footwear, Dragon Eyewear, um, Red Dog Surf Shop, Creatures of Leisure. Uh, it's a pretty long list. Um, just trying to hit the highlights here, but uh, we really appreciate you, all the support. You said Yeti, right? I did not. I did okay. not. Thank well, you. Thank you for thank you for adding that. But yeah, we uh, we very much appreciate all of our sponsors. Um, they're the only reason that we can even uh, pull this thing off. And so thanks to those guys, and thank you for listening. And uh, be on the lookout uh, for our next episode. We got some interesting guests lined up, and that's all I'm going to say about that. And, yeah, I'll, uh, I might add, John, that we have August 26th and 27th creeping up real quick here, and yes. you'll find a programming announcement in the next few days. Um, maybe not in the next few days, but by mid-July or thereabouts, you'll find what we're going to show in August at Atlantic Center for the Arts on the 26th and 27th, and. Uh, Really, it's going to be a great lineup. Yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to it. And uh, for you local listeners, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you there. Perfect. Thanks, everybody. You.